Pastors here, and I am so glad to be able to speak from God's Word today. And um, before we get into the text, I have a question for you. Did you know that there was a time before the internet existed? Um, I well, I, what I heard, what I've heard is that Al Gore invented the internet uh, a long, long time ago. My first exposure to the internet was uh, I was at my dad's workplace, and this was 1993, 1994. I don't remember the exact date, but he worked for GE in San Jose, and um, I went into the office with him one day, and he said, uh, if you go on the computer, you can go online. And I was like, what is online? So the very first website I ever went to was yahoo.com, and uh, you, can, you can go to the internet archives and see what it looked like back then. But the first thing I typed up was uh, comic book characters. And to my amazement, I saw drawings and pictures of comic book characters. And they were in color. And I was amazed. I was astonished. My first exposure to the Internet. And now, um, I could say, and you could probably say too, the world is different because of the Internet. And you may have been following uh, the latest thing now, which is ChatGPT, um, artificial intelligence. And if you've visited the website, uh, you type in whatever, and it spits out this amazing factoids. And not just technologists, but sociologists, um, economists, they say that this will change how we live. It's already changing some things. And whether or not it's true, um, these people are smarter than I am. Artificial intelligence will probably change the world, and the world will probably be different in five years or ten years because such a thing exists. And if we look back in history, we call these things epic-making moments, not epic, epoch, E-P-O-C-H, epoch-making moments in history. When there are these moments in time that change everything, And today, we're going to reflect on the events of this first Resurrection Sunday, which was a moment that changed everything, even more so than the Internet. What if we felt the same amount of awe and amazement that maybe I felt when I first went online and looked at those pictures of those comic book characters I want to speak to three groups of people this morning, the bored, the fearful, and Peter, the disciple. If you have your bulletins, uh, it's in there. If not, these three points, not that difficult to remember. But my first point is this, a word to the bored. If you've been around church long enough, you kind of know the drill of Sunday, of Easter Sundays. We come to church, we will sing songs about the resurrection of Christ, we will hear from God's Word, a passage from the from the Gospels, usually, or 1 Corinthians 15, about the resurrection, what it means. Uh, sometimes we'll have a cool Easter egg hunt for the kids afterwards. And we often hear what we expect to hear. We feel what we expect to, expect to feel. My favorite author, his name is Frederick Buechner, he says, so often when we come to church, we will hear what the preacher says, but we won't really hear Because what we really hear is what we expect to hear. We've primed ourselves to hear the stories that we're used to. 
And that's not a bad thing necessarily. But it is a problem if all it is is a message that we hear and we store away in our memory bank as a nice sentiment, as perhaps a piece of trivia. I've been preaching long enough to know that people forget what I say the next day. I know that because I forget the things I say on Monday. And here is the problem for us, that for all the planning that we do and all the energy that we put into something like this, like an Easter Sunday service, this is a problem, that it doesn't change us. Our hearts aren't set on fire. Our imaginations are not ignited. And we will remain bored. We'll hear about a man that rises from the dead. And then we'll go to lunch to Chipotle. And we'll complain that they don't give us enough protein in our burrito bowl. The way that we live our lives is more shaped by technology than the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. So we're bored. My first point today is actually not from our passage in Mark, but from the call to worship that Tom led us in earlier as we began the service from 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm not going to read it, but this is what it says. It says that if Christ is not risen from the dead, then your faith, everything that you do as a Jesus follower This is in vain. It's futile, he says. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then what we're doing is a waste of time. And here is my assertion for you if we're bored. That we're bored because we live a life that makes sense to us. We live a life that makes sense because dead people don't come to life. We don't live as if dead people can be raised to life. And the way that we live our lives reflects that belief. We don't want to take risks. We don't want to strive for impossible goals. We don't think beyond the next 30 or 40 years of our lives or our children's lives. And ask yourself this. Is there anything in your life, anything in your life, your career goals or your finances or your relationships or your hopes and ambitions Is there anything in your life like that that can't be explained unless Jesus rose from the grave? And as we think about Easter, this is what we think about. That actually, Jesus did rise from the grave. What we as Christians believe is not some nebulous, mystical force that provides guidance and inspiration We believe in a dead man that rose to life. We view it as a historical fact that's provable. It's not just a religious preference. It isn't something that we believe because it's something that just works for us. We have faith in a man that claimed to be the Son of God who said that he would rise from the grave, and he actually did. A historical fact And this is what he did. Jesus was born to a virgin, to a poor teenage couple. He sucked on his mother's breasts. He had diaper blowouts. He made pouty faces when he was unhappy as a toddler. He tried not to cry when he scraped his knee. Little girls giggled when he walked past. He got splinters when he was doing woodwork with his father, Joseph. 
Jesus had B.O. His stomach growled. Figs got stuck in his beard during breakfast. He had a lump in his throat when he saw people hurting. He laughed until tears rolled down his cheeks when his friends told him a good joke. He got angry with religious people. He felt deep sorrow for his entire life. He was constantly lonely. His best friends weren't there for him when he needed them most. He was arrested. His skin was split open when he was whipped. He slipped in puddles of his own blood. He was tortured and made a spectacle for everyone outside of Jerusalem to see. He screamed in pain until his throat was raw. His body went into shock from the trauma of the torture. He died. His body was put inside a tomb. Jesus really existed. He was a real man. And then he came back to life. We say that this is a historical fact. It's not a nice sentiment. It's not a religious preference. And all these things that I said, these things may seem silly unless they're true, unless they really happened. And if they really happened, then we have to reckon with this truth, with this man, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If he was not risen from the dead, then you're off the hook for everything. Live however you want. Don't go to church on Sundays. We should shut this church down if Jesus is not risen from the dead. It doesn't matter that Jesus was a revolutionary who taught things that had never been heard before. It ultimately doesn't matter that his followers changed cultures and societies. Because if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then that means that the most significant things that he said, that these were lies. And now he's nothing but a pile of dust and bones and a memory held on by delusional religious people. That's what it is if he didn't rise from the dead. But if he was really raised from the dead, not only should you reevaluate everything in your life in light of the resurrection, we must live as if he did. That's the implication of 1 Corinthians 15. And if you did that, you will never be bored again. We are a bored people because we don't believe in something greater. But the resurrection means that you will live forever if you call upon the name of Jesus. This is what Romans says. And you too will be raised to eternal life one day. Like Pastor Tom said, in the coming weeks, he and I will preach on the benefits of the resurrection. What does it mean for us to live as people who have this resurrection power in us? But for now, let's hold on to this. That we might be bored with the Easter story because we live as if everything should make sense. We may think of it as a nice story, but in real life we shouldn't expect such a thing as a dead man coming back to life. This is the word for us who are bored this Easter Sunday. Are you bored? A second word, a word to the frightened. We now move into the text in Mark 16. Um, Thanks, Melissa, for reading that. Our text focuses on three women, Mary, Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. 
they go to the tomb. This was on a Sunday morning. It's, the text says, at sunrise, to anoint the body of their friend. They had the spices to do so, as was the custom. In verse 3, it tells us that they make their way to the tomb, and they ask a very logical question. Well, we've got these spices. There's a decomposing body that we need to anoint. How are we going to move the stone away? It takes more than three people to move it away. And that question, it presupposes that there is really a decomposing body in that tomb. And these three women, they had no expectation that there would be anything but the body of Jesus. They arrive and they see that the stone has been moved. They enter through this small doorway. And instead of the body of Jesus, they see a young man. The text tells us he is a young man dressed in white. And he tells them, do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. Other versions translate this word as, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Is fear something that you feel? There may come a time, um, there's a 100% chance actually, that you will come to a time when you will feel fear. Because what you're experiencing doesn't make sense. You see, the bored people... Everything in their life makes sense. But the fearful people, when something in their life doesn't make sense, this is when the fear enters. Do you know what doesn't make sense? That you exercise, that you watch your diet, that you never smoke, and you visit the doctor regularly, and you get lung cancer, and then you die, just like my aunt did a little over a year ago. That doesn't make sense. Or you work hard and you make the right connections and you make sacrifices, but your career is stalled and you don't know if you'll ever get that title or that recognition. I thought that I was supposed to be here because I did these things. doesn't make sense. Or you fall in love with someone and you want to spend the rest of your life with them, but maybe it's not going to happen. It doesn't make sense. Six innocent people, three of them children, die in a school shooting at our sister church in Nashville. That doesn't make sense. And when these things come into our lives, what do we feel? We feel fear. When what we think should be happening doesn't happen, or when something that shouldn't happen does happen, fear. And this is what Mary and Mary and Salome feel. A fear, a, distre- a distress. The word used in our version is alarmed, our, our translation of the Bible. It's translated from the Greek word ekthambeomai. Ekthambeomai. And it's a word only used by Mark in the New Testament. And I think this is the only time it's used in the New Testament at all. And it's this word that conveys a a feeling of both fear and wonder, of shock and astonishment and distress. And why are these women alarmed when they see an empty space where where there should have been a body? Because what they were experiencing didn't make sense. It was disorienting. There was no point of reference for their minds to be tethered to. They were ekthembeomai. They were distressed. They were fearful. 
And Easter is for the fearful. It doesn't say that we will eventually get everything that we want. It doesn't say that our suffering will end when we begin to believe. But it does say that things will never remain the same again. That death and suffering and shame, that these do not have the final word. This is Easter's word to the, to the fearful. Verse 6, the angel says to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. What is the reason this man gives to the women to not be afraid? Because Jesus is risen. Do not be alarmed. Do not be distressed. Do not fear. The women in today's passage, they were fearful because what they experienced didn't make sense. Because in their minds, dead people stayed dead. In their minds, giant stones aren't rolled away by themselves. In their minds, their friend is gone for good. But Jesus is risen. And now they live in a reality where dead people come to life. But way bigger than just that is the reality that it was Jesus that came back to life. That he is alive and he is reigning this very moment. And if Jesus was risen from the dead, it means that every word that he spoke during his ministry on earth was true. And he was vindicated. It means that he really has paid the penalty of our sins. And the Father accepted his sacrifice. And because he did, we too will be raised to life one day. And if this is true then we can live differently because we live in a new reality. Uh, about 50 years ago, there was an anthropologist by the name of Ernest Becker, and he wrote a book entitled The Denial of Death. And it was a very well-known book back in the day. It's, it's still well-known. Um, people still read it. It won the Pulitzer Prize. And this book, in this book, he writes about how mankind deals with the idea of mortality. Everyone knows that there is such a thing as death. And everyone knows that it's coming for them. And this is what he writes, a couple of his quotes. The irony of man's condition is that the deepest need is to be free of the anxiety of death and annihilation. But it is life itself which awakens it. And so we must shrink from being fully alive. Anyone who is self-aware and self-conscious, anyone who has a grasp on reality, knows that one day their life will end. He continues, To live fully is to live with an awareness of the rumble of terror that underlies everything. You and I know intuitively that we will die, even if we try to ignore that truth. And does that reality of death cause you to alter your life in any way? I suspect that it does, because we all have a tendency towards self-preservation. We want to be physically healthy. We want to maintain our reputation. We want to maximize our pleasure and comfort. 
Because if this life is all there is, and if one day we will die, then why wouldn't we want those things? But Easter says that there is more to this life than that. The rumble of terror that Ernest Becker speaks of can be silenced because the lion has roared. If you remember Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, Aslan, the lion, is roaring that Easter Sunday. And Easter means that we can live with courage and boldness because we know that Jesus has conquered death. And because he lives, so shall we. We can dive headlong into all of life with all its joy and happiness and laughter and sadness and suffering and pain. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you can jump straight into that with a courage and a confidence. Everything changes because Jesus rose from the dead. These three women on that Sunday morning They entered a new reality. And we live in that reality now. We live in a reality where broken relationships can be mended. Even the most hopeless cases. Where the offended can forgive the offender. We live in a reality where angry, bitter men and women can become joyful and loving people. We live in a reality where those who are gripped by addiction can be freed. We live in a reality where death itself will one day die for good. And suffering and sadness and pain will be redeemed for our good. This is the reality that, reality that we live in. If you've read uh, Alice in Wonderland, um, there's just, I think the, one of the most well-known quotes from that book, the character says, Impossible things? Sometimes I believe six impossible things before breakfast. And if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, Easter says to you, you believe those impossible things. You believe those impossible things because a dead man rose from the grave. Because that is what God does. Because this is what Easter is. It's God making life in the places of death. God does his deepest work in the darkest places. The cross, the tomb, our hearts. As the text continues, we're told that the women, they leave the tomb with a different type of fear. Verse 8, this is the last line of our passage. It tells us that these women, they were afraid. And it was a a fear that caused them to tremble. The Greek word for afraid, this particular word in verse 8 is ephobonta. They're still fearful even after they've seen the empty tomb. Why is that? It's because they understand the gravity of the situation. For the rest of their lives, this reality would mark them. The resurrection of Jesus Christ would grip them. To them, it wasn't a sentimental thought. It was a real thing. And if we follow Jesus, we need to remember this as a church. This is a word to our church right now. That the message that we're entrusted with is serious. 
It's a matter of life and death to our friends and family. And it has to be handled rightly with fear and trembling. And this is the message that we're entrusted with. The gospel, the gospel which says that we were created to have a relationship with the holy, infinite God. And we rebelled against him. We decided that we want to live our own way. And we could have received the consequences of that, which is death and judgment. But God, in his love, he gave us Jesus to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserved, to be raised from the tomb for the people of God. And now we can know our Father. Now we can be under, we can know the love of God. And these women, they're entrusted with a message. The, the angel, uh, this angelic being, he tells them, go and tell the others that Jesus is risen. Go tell them what you've seen. And he adds this one thing, and to me this is probably the most significant thing, apart from the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The, the, the man tells this, the women, go tell the disciples, and Peter, and Peter, that Jesus is risen. And this leads us to our final point. This is a word for Peter on this Easter Sunday. If you remember the story of the disciples and Jesus throughout the Gospels, you may recognize how significant this little addition to the message is. Because who is Peter? Peter is the most passionate of the disciples. He was the one who was most enthusiastic and gung-ho about the ministry of Jesus. He was the one that defended Jesus with a sword when a huge crowd came to arrest Jesus. Remember, he struck the air of the Roman soldier and cut it off. Peter was the one that swore. He said, Jesus, I swear to you, I will remain faithful to you till the very end. Even if everyone else denies you, I'm going to stay with you. I will be by your side. But when the time comes, what does Peter do? He denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And where was Peter when the women were at the tomb that Sunday morning? He was hiding. He was full of guilt and shame. He was full of fear. He didn't know what the rest of his life would look like. Do you know what it meant for Peter to be singled out? It meant that the message of the resurrection is especially for those who don't think that they deserve it. The man tells the women, make sure, make sure you tell Peter that Jesus is risen. Tell Peter that Jesus is coming back to see him, not to judge him, not to shame him. And can you imagine in those days following the resurrection, Jesus, he goes out to find his friends. And there they are, the disciples. But his eyes lock on Peter. 
Peter, it's me, Jesus, my friend, my friend. What must have went through Peter's mind as Jesus embraces him? We don't know, but we do know that nothing was ever the same for him again. And if you study church history, you will know that Peter was uh, perhaps the most influential church father. He suffered, was persecuted. He died a terrible death. And I doubt that he ever bragged about his faithfulness. I doubt that he ever would speak of his good intentions after that moment. Because he knew in that moment, it's not up to my own willpower. It's not my own goodness. It's not my own faithfulness or good intentions. I am here. I'm a bearer of this message because Jesus is faithful and because Jesus is risen. And he, wrote, he writes this in the New Testament from 1 Peter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And indelible grace, church, this is true of us. You have not seen Jesus with your eyes yet, but he is risen. And if you trust him, if you stake your entire life on the fact that he's risen, you will know this, that there is a joy and rejoicing that is inexpressible. Your life will not make sense to the world, but it makes sense, perfect sense, in the reality of the resurrection. The resurrection message is for you. Whether you are bored, whether you are fearful, whether you're like Peter, the resurrection message is for traitors. It's for the unfaithful. It's for those who have wandered far off. It's for doubters. It's for the angry and the bitter and the disillusioned. It's for you and it is for me. This is what Easter means for us. Will you pray with me? God, we, what do we even say when a man has been raised from the dead? I pray that this truth would be real, more real than anything in our lives. and It would sink into our hearts and into our minds and into our bones and that we would be a people whose lives reflect this truth that Jesus is alive. We praise you that Jesus is alive, that he has conquered death, that he's conquered sin, and he makes himself known to us. And God, I pray that as we continue on this Easter Sunday, that this truth would sink deeper and deeper into our hearts. We pray this in the name of the risen Christ. Amen.